Please be seated. Check, check, check. Have I got microphone? Yep, I goo. Okay. Didn't sound like it was on there for a moment. Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we put our whole selves into your hands right now. Right now, we submit ourselves for you to teach us through your word. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in us and change us, transform us. We want our worship to be transforming. We want our worship to be honoring to you. And Lord, as we talk about worship this morning, may you be blessed. And may we learn. Lord, reveal yourself in your word and in us. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to start this morning by reading you a story. And it's a story that I know you've heard before. Um, it's the story of Jesus having an encounter with a woman at a well in Samaria. Or rather, it's the story about a woman who had an encounter with Jesus at a well in Samaria. So please open your Bible this morning to chapter 4 of the book of John. We're going to read through to verse 30. It's a little bit longer reading than what we normally would do, but I want to do the whole thing because I think we get the most out of the story when we hear the whole story. So uh, rather than reading it a piece at a time, we're going to read it as one piece. That's John chapter 4, starting at verse 1 and reading through to verse 30. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. 
Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. No one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, there's a little bit more here, but we're going to hold on right there. We're going to stop there for now. And, and I know you've heard this message preached many times, uh, likely with a very strong emphasis on breaking boundaries, uh, reaching out across boundaries like Jesus did. He offers spiritual transformation and salvation to everybody who believed in him, not just the Jews. And he's reaching out here. And all of that is true, and it's all very important to the story. But I also want to highlight something that is also very important in this passage. And it has to do with worship. Now, we had great worship this morning uh, in song. We had, you know, our hearts were in it. And, you know, you can just, I can always tell when our hearts are in it, you know. And the Lord is moving and touching us. And, and we're being transformed in our worship, because worship is transformative. And, and this has to do with worship. You know, we often quote verse 23 about the call to worship in spirit and in truth, and we usually quote it out of context. <laughs> and uh, in fact, there is a good bit of this passage that is about worship, uh, maybe more than you think. Now, you might know that the Samaritans and the Jews had a major dispute going on that lasted generations. And it was mostly about worship. When the people of the northern kingdom were conquered by the Assyrians, they exiled many of the people who lived there into other places and living, made them live among other cultures. And what happened over time is the people intermarried with those other cultures, which had pagan religious practices. And they adopted some of those practices and beliefs. And they, they began a strange mix of Judaism and pagan religion. It just kind of blended together in what we call syncretism. But without any access to the temple in Jerusalem, what they did was they built their own temple at Mount Gerizim. And they practiced this strange combination of religion that would be forbidden by God because it was not strictly focused on him. Well, when the rest of Israel returned, they came back from captivity and they started to rebuild the walls and Nehemiah was there and, and, and the walls were being built in Jerusalem and the Samaritans came down from the mountains and they said, we'd like to help build the walls. 
But the Jews rejected their help because these folks had not been faithful to God. And so a long-standing feud began between them. And it was centered in the one question, what is true worship? What is true worship? Well, I want to look at two things here this morning, uh, two things about true worship. First, I want to talk about the invitation to worship that Jesus gives. And then second, about transformation through encounter, particularly with Jesus. The invitation to worship and transformation through encounter. So first, the invitation to worship. Uh, let me tell you something that I believe about this story. I believe that this woman's chance encounter with Jesus at the well was not a chance encounter. <laughs> you know, I believe sincerely that Jesus went through Samaria on purpose, that he had a mission in mind, that he came for this very encounter at the well. I believe that he was waiting for the woman when she came out to get water. Jesus left Judea to get back to Galilee because the Pharisees were, it seemed like they were trying to pit him against you know, John the Baptist, well, this one baptized this many, and this baptized this many, and, and, and Jesus didn't want any part of that. Uh, he was not in competition with John the Baptist. They were one in spirit. They were on the same side, and so he just left. Verse 4 says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, geographically, he didn't have to go through, but, but I think if you think about the idea of him coming for a very special spiritual appointment, Jesus had to go through Samaria. If you wanted to go from one point, from A to B, from Judea to Galilee, then you had to, if you wanted to go in a straight line, then you really did have to go through Samaria. You went right on through enemy territory. Now, that might seem a little strong, but that's how the Jews had begun to think of the Samaritans in their minds, to think of them as the enemy. And so, Jesus intentionally chose to go that way, and uh, he was on his way to an encounter. You know, technically, there was another option. He could have gone all the way around, and, and a lot of Orthodox Jews did exactly that. They went all the way around Samaria to get where they were going. They added many, many miles to their journey in order to do that, but they did that so they wouldn't pollute themselves by contact with those filthy Samarians. Jesus chose to go straight through. He stops at Sychar. Sychar is where Jacob's well is located, a very famous well. It's been there for a long, long time since Jacob himself dug it. And Jesus sat down at the well while his disciples went into town to buy lunch. Now, this time of day is not the time of day when women came out to draw water. It was much too hot, and, and there would be no expectation, at least among the disciples, that anybody was coming, but Jesus knew better. So it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? If you keep watch closely in your own life, you'll see that God is at work in your everyday life. God sometimes puts people in your path so that you can have interaction with them. Have you ever had that happen? Were you sure God did that? <laughs> I was supposed to talk to that person, or they were supposed to talk to me sometimes. 
Many conversations can lead into spiritual conversations. You know, it's like the don't give up signs that we have around town. You know, and so many of us have had some great spiritual conversations because people saw the sign and then came and asked us about it or told us how they were encouraging them. And some of us have gotten to pray with people, and that's been a wonderful experience. You know, a simple phrase of encouragement can move you into a much deeper conversation. And several of you have had those kinds of conversations. Well, here, in Jesus' case, the deeper spiritual conversation starts with a drink of water. Now, notice Jesus doesn't start with this. I know you're a sitting, adulterous woman who's had one husband after another, and you're shacking up with another guy right now, so you better repent or you're going to hell. That's a really good conversation starter, isn't it? Now, you might laugh, but I cannot tell you how many times I have personally heard people take that approach to sharing faith in Christ. And then they walk away thinking that they've shared the gospel and they leave the person with nothing but bruises and they haven't given them any good news. Jesus starts by asking this woman for water. And it's just a little thing, really, but, but look how she responds here. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You might have thought I was exaggerating when I talked about filthy Samarians or Samaritans. But that's how they thought of them. It's contaminated, polluted, because they didn't worship holy, the God of Israel. They worshiped other gods, and so they thought of them as contaminated people. They didn't want to have any contact because they thought that having contact with the Samaritan people would make them ceremoniously unclean, which meant that they couldn't go to the temple to worship or engage in worship of any kind, according to the law. There are some huge cultural barriers going on here. And the woman is pointing them out, by the way. <laughs> I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. You know, she's pointing it out. She's getting that out right out in front. Um, and then for good measure, John reminds us in the parenthesis at the bottom, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Well, there's an understatement. This barrier, it's like 10 miles high and 10 miles wide. There is no interaction between these two people. It, it just doesn't happen. But Jesus begins to turn the conversation, and, and he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, what Jesus is doing here, he's starting to lead her down a path that will begin to address her spiritual condition without beating her over the head with his Bible or with his Septuagint. <laughs> he wants to lead towards the condition of her heart. This statement is, in fact, an invitation to worship. To worship. He's asked for water. He's asked for a drink for himself. And now he's going to address her thirst. And he... And he makes this statement about living water. And here's what she says. She says, 
she really does say. <laughs> Maybe you can help me out. Sir, the woman said, you, can ha you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can, where can you get this living water? I mean, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well. He drank from it himself, and so did his sons and livestock. Where are you going to get water? This is the only well in town. This is the only one close by. Where are you going to get this water? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. There's an invitation going on here. An invitation to know him and to come to worship though she doesn't really know it yet. Jesus is using her physical thirst to talk about her spiritual thirst. He's having a spiritual conversation. Living water is the offer of eternal life. We know that. You remember we spent all that time in Revelation. We just finished that last week, and we were talking about what? We were talking about the city of God, the new Jerusalem, and this beautiful uh, river of living water that was flowing out from under the throne. It says, the river of water of life, clear as crystal, was flowing from the throne of God and from, the, and from that of the Lamb. Well, that water represents eternal life. And he talks about springs of water being raised up in her heart, things, springs that would be never-ending. Uh, springs of water welling up to eternal life. You know, in spite of the cultural differences, and in spite of the theological differences, and we're going to get to those, Jesus is extending grace and love and an invitation to know him and to worship him. He recognizes the woman's spiritual thirst. You know, whether we recognize it or not ourselves, we have a soul deep thirst for living water inside of us. We are hardwired to have a relationship with God. That's part of us. That's part of the way we were created. And we thirst for him. We thirst for his love. We thirst for his Holy Spirit that is supposed to be directly connected to our spirit. That's the way God created humans, with a direct spiritual connection with himself. And the fall came and that was broken and sin and death ruled. And we thirst for that connection. We hunger for it. But something needs to happen first in this woman's life before that can take place, before transformation that we know needs to happen can take place. But this woman's not quite ready for it. Jesus tells her, go call your husband and, and then come back. She says to him, I have no husband. And Jesus blows her mind by telling her, that's right. In fact, you've had five husbands and the one you're with right now isn't your husband. Whoa. 
Conviction starts to set in. That's obvious. And he doesn't have to say to her, and you know that what you're doing is a sin. He doesn't really have to say that to her because it's pretty obvious. She, she knows it. She knows what kind of life that she's lived. Uh, she knows the kind of life that she's living right then. And, and it's easy to see she's becoming mighty uncomfortable right now. And so she does exactly what we would do. She changes the subject. <laughs> Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she, she throws out the controversy. She gets it out there because she wants to distract him. You know, she uh, figures he must be a prophet because he knows her, and, and yet he doesn't know her. He really knows her, but he doesn't know her personally. So she shifts over to the theological argument, as we often do. She tries to bamboozle him a little bit. But Jesus is not going to be bamboozled. Woman, Jesus replied, and by the way, um, when he says woman, he's not being disrespectful. He's being actually quite respectful here. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So here we have this woman's attempt at sleight of hand. You know, in sleight of hand and magic, what you do is you try to distract people, get them to look at this hand while you're doing something over here with this hand, and, and it doesn't work with Jesus. Jesus is not following that. Um, it, there feels like, I don't know, at least to me, and I don't know about to you, but it feels to me like there's a little bit of smugness in this woman before up till this point, you know? She's convinced of what she believes and that the Jews are wrong. And, you know, I think when she dangles the stuff in Jesus' face, I think she's kind of trying to antagonize him a little bit and trying to challenge him a little bit. And, and she wants to have a dispute here based on the location of worship. She says, well, you know, our ancestors, we worshiped here on Mount Gerizim. And you say it's down there at Mount Moriah, at Mount Zion or Jerusalem. But Jesus points something out here. He says it's not about location. It's about more than that. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. She and her people had been worshiping this hodgepodge of gods on their mountain while Israel worshiped where God had led them. But you know, even Israel, worshiping the one true God in the place they were supposed to do it, they sometimes got it wrong too. And over and over again, we read about how they strayed from God and how they left the worship of God and, and, and eventually had to come back to God. And sometimes they were punished for straying from God. It's not about where you worship as much as it is about who you worship and what the attitude of your heart is. Do you know God? Do you know God? God. 
You can't really worship God fully until you know him. You really can't. Until he has more from you than singing and praying. He has to have your heart. And when God has your heart, you begin to experience worship on an entirely different level. You know, we're wired to worship. And you know, if we turn away from God, we're still going to worship. It's still going to happen. It just won't be God. You know, you might remember the old Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody. Or it'd be more like, you got to serve somebody. (laughs) You are going to serve someone. You're going to worship someone or something. Money, celebrities, politics, yourself, something. You're going to worship something if you're not worshiping God. Now, I want to share something that's kind of cool. The word we translate for worship here is not the same word. You know, the word we normally translate for worship, it means to give worth to God, right? It's worship, and, then, and our English word comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, worship, which means, again, to give worth to God, to, to credit him with worth to worthiness. But, but here, this word worshipers is literally advancers. It says to advance God and to be an advancer of God. Now, why does it say that? Well, it has to do with advancing towards God. With the idea, it's literally made up, the word for worship here is literally made up of two words. The one is the word for advance. The other word is the word for kiss. To advance and kiss. And it's referring to the practice of falling down before someone and and offering yourself in humility before that person, submitting to that person and kissing the hand. That was the gesture that it symbolizes. It even gets translated to fall down prostrate, to lay flat before the Lord. Worship in this way that Jesus means here, means to submit yourself entirely to God to submit your heart to God, to hold nothing back in your heart. To worship in spirit and truth is to worship the one true God, advancing towards him always. There's only one direction. The truth of God is in your hearts because that's where the true God lives. True worship involves a genuine connection with God. It's one that's rooted in the truth of his word and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that level of encounter with God, it can't happen without some transformation taking place. But we are, and this is the wonderful irony of it, we are transformed when we encounter God. What happened to this woman at the well? (laughs) Well, there's some obvious transformation taking place. She was obviously a skeptical doubter when she began this conversation. And she's transformed into enough of a believer that she accepts that Jesus might be the Messiah. 
And there's this interesting thing, you know, our possessions, especially water gathering possessions were, were prized. You did not leave your water jar behind. And yet it says here, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Her encounter with Jesus ignited a desire to advance towards him in reverence. You can see the attitude shift. And the cocky attitude is gone now. She's drawn to his message. She's awed by the power that he has to know her. And she wants to share the good news with others. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is the story of Hagar and the whole aspect of Hagar that, that the God, she speaks of God as the God who sees, the God who sees me particularly. This is, this is what she's experiencing is what Hagar experienced. Is she's experienced that God is seeing who she is. And maybe it's the very first time in her life that that ever happened that somebody really saw her beyond her behavior. She's so touched by this that she wants to share this good news that she has with other people, and she runs back to the town. When we encounter God, our natural inclination is towards worship. And it's our natural response. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Jesus extended grace to this woman. He gave her an invitation to receive the water of life. He showed her who he really was. He was the Messiah. He revealed himself to her. He didn't do that to too many people, if you read. There are, there are lots of times where he withholds that information to sort of let them have self-discovery. But here, he directly reveals himself to this woman. And he showed her who he really was and who she really was. And she embraced him. She was transformed. Now, she experienced reverence instead of contempt. True worship flows from the heart, a heart that has experienced God's grace, and we respond with gratitude and with adoration. In Christ, there is no distinction between genders or races or social status. And the encounter with Jesus at the well broke down the cultural barriers. You'll see, it's kind of cool, actually, when the people from the town come out, they, they just see Jesus. They don't see a Jew. They don't see an enemy of the people. They see Jesus. They don't even question him being a Jew. They just see the Messiah, and they want to know more about this amazing man who had such an impact on this fallen woman that she would risk being ostracized for spending time with a Jew to tell them about the man who could be the Messiah. And so it says, as a result, 
Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Your testimony, your story is unique to you and it's powerful. It's something, you know, people can say, oh, I don't believe in all that stuff, but it's very hard for them to discredit what really happened to you. <laughs> so your testimony is a powerful thing. And the story ends with this testimony. It says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You know, it doesn't come right out and say it, but it implies that the woman herself believed. She had a real encounter with God, with Jesus. And when we have a real encounter with God, that causes us to advance towards him in surrender, to give our whole heart to God. God desires worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth with sincerity and with authenticity. Authenticity is a big word today. But we need to be authentic with God. We need to be real with God. Worship, I believe worship, compels us to share the experience. If we experience true worship, we want others to experience that same thing, don't we? We're compelled to share the message of the gospel with others, to experience it, but to invite others to experience true worship as well. Worship involves offering our bodies as living sacrifices, continually renewing our minds and aligning ourselves with the will of God. As we grow in our relationship with God, our worship should grow deeper, shouldn't it? It should reflect a greater understanding of God's character and his love. The story of the woman at the well teaches us that True worship transcends cultural barriers and religious barriers and personal histories even. True worship is, there's an invitation to encounter Jesus in it and to drink from the source of the living water and to experience transformation. So how do we respond to this? Well, let us respond to his grace with authenticity let us be barrier breakers. Let us share the life-giving message of Jesus with others. May our worship extend beyond a single moment, beyond the high of being in the moment of the singing. It's a wonderful thing. But our worship doesn't stop there. You might notice when I I said, wasn't our, our worship in song was wonderful. See, we weren't stopped worshiping. We're still worshiping God right now. This is part of worship. Because we're honoring God, we're putting God first. May our worship extend beyond a single moment and become a lifestyle of surrender and growth and continual devotion to our loving Savior. Here's a word of exhortation. Worship outside of the box. 
The box I'm talking about right now is this building. This is the box. You don't just worship in here. We gather to worship. The scripture tells us to gather and not neglect gathering together of the saints. You know, worship, corporate worship is so important to your spiritual health, but you don't stop worshiping when you walk out the door. We have a lifestyle of worship where we're continually worshiping God outside of the box. And as you worship him daily, your intimacy with him will grow. And others will believe because of what you say. Because they have had an encounter with Jesus Christ themselves. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We bow before you. We advance towards you. We give our hearts to you, and we say, because of our own encounters with you, that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, you are the Savior of the world, and we are advancers, always moving towards you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Transform us in life-changing ways. Renew us. And empower us to be your gospel-sharing witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.